0: One week season.
1: NFL Edge.
0: Audio. Buccaneers at Packers. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 41 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. Packers running back A.J. Dillon has a thumb injury and has yet to practice this week as of Thursday, after reportedly breaking it in the team's Week 14 loss to the Giants. Packers running back Aaron Jones has a knee injury but got in two limited sessions to begin the week after missing the previous three games. Packers wide receiver Christian Watson has a hamstring injury and has yet to practice this week after missing Week 14. Packers cornerback Eric Stokes, who's on IR with a hamstring injury, saw his 21-day practice window open and got in two full practices to start the week. He appears likely to return to action against the Buccaneers. Packers wide receiver Dontavian Wicks has an ankle injury and missed practice Wednesday before returning to a limited session Thursday. He appears likely to play against the Buccaneers. Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin has yet to practice this week with a knee injury, but has been on the team's practice report for a few weeks and has yet to miss a game. Buccaneers cornerback Carlton Davis and safety Ryan Neal have yet to practice this week. There aren't tons of paths to this game environment erupting into something worthy of team and game stacks. That said, each offense is expected to be highly concentrated, making select pieces worthy of one-off and mini-correlation status. How Tampa Bay Will Try to Win The Buccaneers rank 22nd in points per game at 22.2, 22nd in plays per game at 61.5, 17th in PROE, 19th in pass attempts per game at 33.8, and 13th in points allowed per game, 20.8. They are average in every sense of the word. It then makes sense that they currently sit at 6-7, and seven, somehow atop the tragic NFC South division. Like the Packers, the Buccaneers are typically involved in close affairs, with just two of their previous eight games decided by more than one score. As such, this team should be viewed as highly unlikely to push game environments on their own. What they lack in team upside they make up for in concentration, as their five primary skill position players all play near-every-down roles, including running back Rashad White, wide receivers Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Trey Palmer, and tight end Cade Otten. Moreover, the offense has evolved into extreme concentration, primarily amongst White and Evans of late, providing solid paths to upside for each player. As was mentioned above, Rashad White has seen one of the most robust workloads of all backs in the league during the second half of the season. He has played 80% or more of the offensive snaps in 7 of the previous 8 games for the Buccaneers, averaging 20.9 running back opportunities over the previous 8 games played. That has resulted in no less than 15.9 DK points in any game during that span, but has increased his salary to a point where he has returned a 4x salary multiplier on his week 15 salary just once in 8 games, which is below the typical 25% hit rate for player pricing on the site. The matchup on the ground is a good one against a Packers defense allowing 4.6 yards per carry behind 1.33 yards allowed before contact this season, with recent box scores of primary backs of 20, 86, and 2 on the ground to Saquon Barkley, 18 for 110 and 1 on the ground to Isaiah Pacheco, 26 for 125 and 1 on the ground to the combination of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, and 10 for 64 on the ground to the ghost of Austin Eckler. Rest in peace. White averages just 3.7 yards per carry this season. But the matchup and robust workload combine to present a solid opportunity at piercing the 100-yard rushing bonus with additional work through the air all but guaranteed. White averages 4.1 targets per game and is most definitely one of the players that can do enough through the air to negate the need for multiple touchdowns. Mike Evans has six games of double-digit targets this season, three of which have occurred in his previous five games played. Even so, he has just three games all season over 100 yards with all three instances seeing the veteran wide receiver go for 143 yards or more. In other words, Evans tends to hit hard when he hits, akin to a Nico Collins or DK Metcalf. As was mentioned above, the Buccaneers average just 33.8 pass attempts per game, making it exceedingly unlikely that a player not named Mike Evans sees double-digit targets. With Chris Godwin's three such instances, the only other time someone other than Evans has seen double-digit looks all season. The pass offense is highly concentrated from a snap rate perspective, with only Evans and White likely to garner the upside to be relevant in GPPs on a weekly basis. The matchup through the air against the ultra-prevent Joe Barry defense provides a slight boost to the expectation for White and a slight dent to the downfield work of Mike Evans, although it should be noted that Evans has actually seen a more robust route tree this season compared to seasons past. How Green Bay Will Try to Win after starting the season 2-5, and five, the Packers have won 4 of their last 6 games and played themselves back into playoff contention. That said, their two losses during their recent run have come against the Steelers and Giants, not exactly top competition. That doesn't overshadow wins over the Rams, Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs during that time, but it does highlight the fact that the Packers are neither reliable nor consistent in their present state. Even so, they have scored 21 or more points in 4 straight and 19 or more points in 6 straight. It is highly unlikely the Packers blow teams out considering an ultra-prevent defense aimed at forcing their opponents to march the field and an inconsistent offense, making most games involving the Packers tightly contested affairs. They rank near middle of the pack in PROE, plays per game, 61.4, good for 23rd in the league, pass attempts per game at 34.5, which ranks 17th, and a 17th ranked points per game at 21.5, as well as points allowed per game at 20.5, which ranks them 11th. While ranking near the bottom of the league in rush attempts per game, 25th ranked 24.9. A.J. Dillon has filled in as the starting running back for the Packers for half of the season, but picked up a broken thumb in Week 14 and appears unlikely to play against the Buccaneers. That makes the status of Aaron Jones worth monitoring closely leading into the weekend. Even so, Jones has not handled more than 57% of the offensive snaps at any point in his age 29 season, as he has struggled through multiple injuries, making it highly likely that Patrick Taylor is involved in some capacity this week. Taylor has played nearly half of the team's offensive snaps in two of the previous three games in the absence of Jones, and could even approach lead-back status pending Jones' health. In other words, I see it as highly unlikely that Jones sees extreme usage in his first game back from his third stint of missed games this season. The matchup on the ground is not ideal against a Buccaneers defense holding opponents to 3.9 yards per carry behind just 1.06 yards allowed before contact. That said, this rush defense isn't as elite as they had been to start the year as they've struggled through injuries to the interior of their defense, including nose tackle Vita Vea and linebackers Devin White and Levante David. Vea remains on the team's injury report, while White and David both practiced in full on Thursday, making the matchup a tad more foreboding. Rookie tight end Tucker Kraft is legitimately the only pass catcher to play an every-down role for this offense during the previous three weeks. Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs were the two that came the closest, each playing around 80% of the team's offensive snaps during that span, but now Watson appears likely to miss his second consecutive game. That should leave Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, assuming he plays, and Jaden Reed as the primary wide receivers, with Malik Heath and Samori Touré on hand for situational roles. Reed and Dobbs are of particular intrigue, considering their respective roles in this offense. Dobbs maintains an elite red zone role, having scored seven touchdowns this season, while Reed continues to be utilized all over the field in addition to seeing numerous carries per game. Reed joins Debo Samuel as the only wide receivers with multiple rushing scores this season. Even so, modest pass volume and sub elite snap rates make all players in this offense reliant on efficiency and trips to the end zone to return fantasy upside. Likeliest game flow. This game involves two teams that are highly unlikely to push game environments this season, which leaves this overall game environment rather uninspiring. That said, the expected concentration from each unit could still provide some fantasy goodness for us, albeit likeliest to be beneficial as one-offs or mini-correlations, as opposed to full game stacks or team stacks. There just aren't a ton of paths to this game environment igniting into something worthy of team and game stacks, considering the offensive and defensive tendencies of both sides involved. That said, there is the component of desperation that could add to the potential upside, as both of these teams currently sit at a 6-7 and record and need a win to bolster their chances of making the postseason. Jets at Dolphins. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 37 37.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Zach Wilson came back with a bang, posting his best game of the season in a Week 14 rout of the Texans. These teams met just a couple weeks ago on a short week the day after Thanksgiving, but that game had Tim Boyle at quarterback for the Jets. There are potential weather concerns in the forecast with high winds expected in Miami over the weekend. Miami is playing on a short week after being upset by the Titans on Monday night in a fourth quarter meltdown. The Dolphins are also dealing with several injuries to key players on both sides of the ball, including their skill players. How New York will try to win. The Jets are still fighting this season and scored 30 points last week for only the second time all year. That game was also the first time they had scored more than 16 points since October 15th. After benching Zach Wilson a few weeks ago for the Tim Boyle experience, the Jets came crawling back, and Wilson rewarded them with one of his better games of the season, completing 75% of his passes and breaking the 300-yard mark for the first time all year. The Jets' defense continued its high level of play, and that, combined with a semi-functioning offense, allowed New York to resemble the type of team that many expected entering the season. On the surface, the Jets are out of the playoff race. However, given the nature of the AFC this year, and how many teams have very bad quarterback and injury situations, it's not impossible for the Jets to sneak in if they are able to rattle off four straight wins to end the year. Looking at their schedule, this is the big game that stands in their way. Remaining games against the Commanders and Patriots likely have the Jets' favorites, and they also play the Browns, who are on their fourth starting quarterback with mounting defensive injuries. It isn't likely, but stranger things have happened. None of that will matter if the Jets can't find a way to beat the Dolphins this week. Miami's defense has looked very good against weaker opponents this season, but had a meltdown late in the game against the Titans that cost them a victory. The recipe from the Titans could be one that the Jets try to emulate, as the Titans were able to move the ball through the air with their stud number one wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins and dynamic pass catching back Tajay Spears. Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall can also fill those roles, and it's easy to see the comparison of the young, gunslinging and inconsistent QBs Will Levis and Zach Wilson. Coming off his best game, A game where the Jets open things up and let him make plays to get ahead of the sticks, rather than predictable runs that left the Jets in tougher late-down situations, Wilson is the type of streaky QB who could string together some nice games to end the year. Wilson, Hall, and Tyler Conklin will be the focal points of the offense once again, and we should expect New York to try to emulate what worked in Week 14 as far as trusting Wilson more on early downs. The Dolphins blitz at the fourth lowest rate in the NFL and are a team that has shown cracks recently, and has several starters battling injuries after already losing star edge rusher Jalen Phillips. Zach Wilson should have time and opportunity to make plays, and the Jets should enter the game expecting to need to score some points against the elite Miami offense. How Miami will try to win. The Dolphins have one of the league's top offenses, but are also a very fragile unit at this point in the season. On Monday night, they came out hot, but an injury to Tyree Kill left him in and out of the lineup for much of the evening. Raheem Mostert and Jalen Waddle each had injury scares of their own, but ended up being fine. Devon Achan played the entire game, but apparently picked up a toe injury that held him out of practice the first two days this week, and which had Mike McDaniel non-committal about his availability for this game. Given Achan's injury issues already this season, his slight frame, and the Dolphins likely taking a long-term approach, it seems likely that he will miss this game. Miami did not score their first offensive touchdown until the fourth quarter Monday night, as the Titans slowed them down by limiting their big plays and pressuring Tua Tagovailoa, sacking him five times along with many more pressures. This week, the Dolphins face a Jets team that they played recently, and had a lot of success against. It must be noted that the Jets' offense was so inept during that first meeting that the Dolphins had the ball a lot and were able to wear down New York's defense. In that game, the Jets' offense had the following first-half drives. 5 plays 16 yards, 3 plays 8 yards, 3 plays negative 7 yards, 4 plays 11 yards, 3 plays 9 yards, 1 play pick 6. That is notable because it shows how quickly they were off the field and how quickly the Jets defense was back out there throughout the game. Miami managed only 10 first half points from their offense and then the pick 6 to end the half sparked the avalanche in the second half, resulting in a 34-13 win. This week, they face an entirely different team, as the Jets' offense should at least be somewhat functional, and that should help the Jets' defense perform at their usual high level. That, along with the cloudy statuses around A-Chan and Hill, cast a lot of doubt on the Dolphins in this spot. Miami's offense focuses on creating opportunities for their very fast playmakers to get the ball in space and do their thing. The Jets have an elite secondary and PFF's number seven graded pass rush, resulting in a top three DVOA pass defense. The Dolphins should be looking to utilize their elite running scheme as the basis for their offense, with some scheme touches in the short areas for Waddle and Hill, assuming Hill is cleared to play. This profiles as a physical and difficult test for the Dolphins, which will only be complicated further if the weather forecast holds with 20 plus mile an hour winds in Miami on Sunday afternoon. Likeliest game flow. These teams have faced each other once and the score was wildly lopsided at 34-13, with the on-field product actually feeling less close than that. This should be a very different game with the Dolphins on their heels on a short week and the Jets riding some momentum and offensive confidence. While the game's implied total seems to accurately reflect the offensive questions involved, the 10-point spread seems extreme given the context of how these teams are built and the injury issues Miami is dealing with. Their scheme is built extremely well around the talents of their top players, but if you remove those elite talents from the lineup and or they are limited in the uses of those talents, the scheme becomes much more difficult to implement. The Titans were able to bring Miami down by making it a bit of a street fight on Monday night, and we should expect a similar approach from the New York defense this week. The Jets should be able to move the ball and put up some offensive points and extend a few drives, which will keep their elite defense locked in and ahead of the game. Remember, this is the same unit that clipped the Eagles earlier this year and is perfectly capable of executing a similar game plan here. Obviously, there is always the chance of the Dolphins offense going nuclear if their guys are right, but they have had some stark offensive splits when facing non-divisional opponents as opposed to their familiar AFC East foes. This puts a much lower likelihood of a ceiling game from the Miami offense, which combined with the spark the Jets offense showed last week, should give us a very competitive game. Giants at Saints, kickoff Sunday December 17th, 1pm Eastern, over under 39. Game Overview by Pappy. The Giants offense has found new life with Tommy DeVito. They've improved from 11.2 points per game to 20.5 points per game in DeVito's starts. The 6 and 7 Saints are in a three-way tie for first place in the listless NFC South. This game has a lot of real-life importance for them. Derek Carr is off the injury report for the first time since week 10. Alvin Kamara and Saquon Barkley are the engines that drive their offenses, and both defenses are weaker against the run than against the pass. The Giants' passing game is cheap, but they draw a tough matchup against a Saints defense that has forced opponents to the ground. How New York will try to win. The 5-8 Giants come into Week 15 riding a three-game win streak. It seemed almost impossible that the Giants could win three straight a month ago. They were sporting the lowest total points and worst point differential in the league, dubious distinctions which now belong to the Patriots and Panthers. Enter Tommy, funny like a clown, DeVito. After getting stomped by Dallas, who looks like the best team in the league, DeVito breathed new life into the left-for-dead Giants offense. The Giants have averaged a pathetic 11.2 points per game in games DeVito hasn't started, compared to 20.5 points per game with him under center. Those games have come against Dallas, Washington, New England, and Green Bay. That's not a list of cupcake defenses, and while DeVito is a raw passer, he has been efficient, with a 66% completion percentage and a threat with his legs, running a 4-6 40-yard dash. The Giants have sped up under DeVito. They are now 6th in situation neutral pace since he took over, but still rank below average 22nd in pace for the year. His success has been even more impressive when factoring in how poor... 30th ranked per PFF, the Giants' offensive line has been this year. DeVito might not end up being great or even good as an NFL starter, but he has given the Giants' offense the spark it has been missing all season. Brian Dayball might not have been as sharp as he was given credit for after coaching Josh Allen, but he is generally an above average offensive mind who is willing to attack his opposition's weaknesses. The Saints have been difficult against the path, ranking 9th in DVOA, but beat up on the ground, ranking 24th in DVOA. Teams have preferred to run against the Saints, and the Giants are adaptable, but prefer to run. They rank 22nd in pass rate over expectation, which raises the chances they use a run-heavy game plan. Dayball has limited DeVito's attempts to 27, 26, 25, and 21, which has produced a 3-1 record. Dayball wants to let DeVito do just enough to win, and doesn't want to risk him turning into a pumpkin. In fairness, DeVito has been okay, 16th-ranked PFF passing grade, and the Giants' offense has been notably more explosive, 5th in explosive play rate, since he took over as the starter. DeVito has injected life into the offense, but it's a small sample size, and Dable is savvy enough to know that trying to win on the ground is a smart plan against the Saints. Expect a run-heavy game plan, which should also include using DeVito as a runner. How New Orleans will try to win. The 6-7 Saints ride into Week 15 in a three-way tie for the division lead. Having a losing record doesn't mean you can't win the NFC South. Even though all the NFC South teams are bad, they are equally bad, which makes it one of the more competitive divisions. This game has a lot of real-life importance to the Saints, who could get a home playoff game or miss the playoffs entirely. The Saints are the only team in the NFC South with a positive point differential at plus 24, and with their final two games being against Tampa Bay and Atlanta, the Saints have reason to believe they can win the division. Pete Carmichael Jr. has the Saints playing fast. They rank 6th in total pace, but he continues to use an outdated style of offense that doesn't stress defenses with creative pre-snap motions. After picking up what seems like a new ailment every week, Derek Carr is finally off the injury report. The Saints O-line hasn't done a good job of keeping him upright, 21st ranked per PFF, but they should be up to the task this week against the pitiful 31st in sack percentage Giants pass rush. The Giants have been trampled on the ground, 29th in DVOA, and respectable against the pass, 14th in DVOA, presenting a mini-run funnel. The DVOA numbers don't tell the whole story, since the Giants are also 23rd in yards allowed per pass, which means their entire defense is weak, but they are terrible against the run versus just bad against the pass. The Saints have stayed balanced this year, 18th in PROE, limiting Carr to under 40 passing attempts in every game since week 7, with Carr only eclipsing 30 pass attempts twice in that span. Taysom Hill missed last week with foot and hand injuries, but was a limited participant early in the practice week and wasn't seen wearing a red non-contact jersey. His presence gives the Saints a power running option and furthers the chances they'll try to win this game on the ground. Carmichael doesn't look like he trusts the Saints' passing game, and this matchup sets up well for the Saints to run. Expect a ground-based approach for the Saints, and for them to stay conservative unless they fall behind by multiple scores. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a low total of 39, which makes sense since it pairs two teams who are likely to attack the run defense of their opponent. It makes sense from a real-life football perspective since both teams are stronger at defending the pass, and both teams are also better at running. It would be poor coaching on both sides to come up with anything other than a run-oriented game plan, and for all of both coaching staff's faults, they are both adaptable. The Saints are a reasonable six-point home favorite and are likely to control this game mostly on the defensive side of the ball. DeVito has been fun, but it's tough to keep making heroic escapes from the pocket in the NFL. The Saints should be able to contain the Giants' offense and find enough success moving the ball on the ground that they comfortably run out the clock up a touchdown in the fourth quarter.
1: Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to oneweekseason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level.
0: Texans at Titans. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 37 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. If you like clean injury reports, I'd advise you not to look at the injury reports from these two teams. That said, the Titans seem to have a relatively clean bill of health for their primary skill position players. The same cannot be said of the Texans. Wide receiver Nico Collins has yet to practice this week as of Thursday due to a calf injury. Quarterback CJ Stroud has a concussion and has yet to practice this week. Offensive tackle George Fant has a hip injury and is yet to practice this week. Wide receiver Noah Brown has a knee injury and he's gotten in two limited sessions to start the week. Tight end Dalton Schultz managed two full practices as he attempts to return from a hamstring injury. Noah Brown brings tantalizing ceiling to the table in this spot, but there are enough uncertainties mixed in with an offense that prefers to hold its top option in the sub-80% snap range that he is by no means a smash lock button play. How Houston will try to win. Davis Mills' season appears to be upon us after C.J. Stroud left the team's Week 14 game with a concussion. The fact that Stroud has not practiced in any fashion this week hints at his progress through the league's concussion protocol, likely multiple steps from earning clearance and hinting at a likely absence this week. Equally as dire for how this team wants to operate is the presence of both offensive tackles on the injury report, with George Fant appearing likely to miss and Laramie Tunsil working through a knee injury that kept him from practice on Wednesday. Tunsil did manage to upgrade to a full practice Thursday, so he should play, but a large part of what makes the Texans' run game so dynamic is their ability to get their athletic tackles into the second level through dynamic zone-gap blocking schemes. Nico Collins appears unlikely to play, and Tank Dell is out for the rest of the season. This team got bit hard by the injury bug over the previous two weeks. That leaves us with a lot of guesswork as we try and piece together their likeliest plan of attack against a defense better attack through the air. The Texans are near the middle of the pack in PROE, 18th-ranked 63.5 plays per game, 16th-ranked 34.5 pass attempts per game, and a 19th-ranked 26.2 rush attempts per game. Devin Singletary seemed to reassert himself as the unquestioned lead back for the Texans in Week 14, after Damian Pierce played just 5 fewer snaps in Week 13, playing a solid 57% of the offensive snaps and handling 16 running back opportunities to the 5 of Pierce and 4 of and Gumbawale. Even so, the poor matchup, the Titans have held opposing backs to 3.8 yards per carry and limited opposing backfields to 20.1 DK points per game, uncertainties surrounding the expected efficiency of the offense, elite red zone defense of the Titans, they've allowed the lowest red zone touchdown rate in the league at 37.5%, and likely absence of one of the team's elite offensive tackles is enough to put a damper on expectations in this spot. Nico Collins has yet to practice this week with a calf strain which appears to be similar to the one that he suffered in Week 9. He would go on to miss the following game the last time, which appears likely to be the case again here. With Tank Dell done for the season, primary wide receiver duties should fall on Noah Brown's intriguing shoulders. That should also provide significant run for John Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson, both of whom played 50% or more of the offensive snaps last week, after Collins left after just three offensive snaps. Robert Woods' role in the offense should not change significantly, while tight end Dalton Schultz appears set to return from a two-game absence. We've talked about this all season, but it bears repeating here. The Texans have utilized a tight rotation of four wide receivers throughout the season, which should once again be the case here. That should limit Brown, Woods, and Hutchinson to sub-80% snap rates, while Mechie is the likeliest to be the primary situational pass catcher in that group. That means, like always, these pass catchers are primarily useful for their expected per-target efficiency, which could take a significant hit with Davis Mills under center. Nobody here is a surefire smash play, while Noah Brown brings the highest ceiling of the lot in a matchup that should tilt additional volume to the air. How Tennessee will try to win Very little has changed with the Titans as far as how they approach games. Which is an interesting sentiment considering the change at quarterback, an offensive line in stark decline, and an aging lead back that has not had the same level of efficiency in the final year on his contract in Tennessee. The Titans hold the fifth highest rush rate over expectation and averages 59 offensive plays per game, which is ranked 30th in the league, typically looking to shorten games through elevated rush rates, methodical drives, and a slow pace of play. Their defense has not been elite, ranking near the middle of the league in points allowed per game at twenty one point seven that said, they have been absolutely elite in the red zone, allowing a league-low 37.5% red zone touchdown rate this season. That has largely allowed this team to continue in their preferred method of attack this season. Even at 5 and 8, only 3 of the Titans losses this year have been by more than one score, highlighting how this franchise continues to try to win games. As we continue to harp on here at OWS, Derrick Henry is most valuable when we can confidently project him for more touches, which has historically occurred in close games. The matchup matters not for the King. It's all about volume. The last three games for the Titans included a 17-10 win in Week 12, a 31-28 loss to the Colts in Week 13, and a 28-27 win over the Dolphins in Week 14. In those games, Henry saw opportunity counts of 20, 23, and 19. The Titans are favored by three points at home this week, making it likely Henry will push for 20 opportunities again in this spot. The Texans have been solid against the run this season, Holding opponents to 3.6 yards per carry, behind just 1.07 yards allowed before contact. Expect Tajay Spears to continue seeing significant work, having outsnapped Henry in consecutive weeks. DeAndre Hopkins is the clear alpha of this pass offense and is coming off a two game stretch of 12 targets per game. He has also been elite against zone coverages this season, an important aspect of this matchup considering the heavy zone rates utilized by Houston's defense. Hopkins currently ranks 15th in fantasy points per route run against zone coverage this year and holds a solid 26.1% target rate against that primary coverage. Nick Westbrook-Akine, Chris Moore, Traylon Burks, and tight end Chig Okonkwo should all see meaningful snaps on a weekly basis, albeit likeliest to be in a rotation of some sort. That should continue to keep their range of outcomes as far as targets go rather muted, all of whom would likely require a trip to the paint to return meaningful counting stats. Likeliest Game Flow We know what to expect from the Titans, who should now be considered the team likeliest to control the game environment this week due to the multitude of injuries from the Texans. That said, we know Bobby Slowick is one of the more progressive and forward-leaning offensive play callers in the league, capable of mixing the talent he has on the field. If anyone is going to force this game environment into something worthy of stacking, it's likeliest to be Noah Brown. Brown has shown appreciable upside when given the opportunity this season, albeit with Stroud under center. Even so, the likeliest scenario here resides with the Titans being able to hunker down in the red zone. Remember, they allow the lowest rate of red zone touchdowns this season, enough to control the game in the way they typically want to through elevated rush rates via Derrick Henry, slow pace of play, and long, methodical drives aimed at shortening games. Falcons at Panthers. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 1pm Eastern, over-under 34. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Atlanta enters this game tied for the division lead and needing a win to improve their playoff chances. Three of Atlanta's final four games are on the road. Last week was a glimpse of what many had hoped for from the Atlanta offense, with all of their stud playmakers, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and Bijan Robinson getting involved with some big plays. Carolina's offense continues to look terrible despite their coaching changes. Both teams rank in the bottom 10 in the NFL in pass rate over expectation. This game has the lowest over-under on the Week 15 slate. How Atlanta will try to win The Falcons had control of the NFC South in their grasp in Week 14 against the Bucs, but their defense failed them and let Tampa Bay march down the field for a game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. Atlanta is now in a three-way tie for the divisional lead with four games to play and will end the season with a showdown with New Orleans in the Superdome. The Falcons have arguably the easiest schedule remaining of the trio and are relatively healthy right now. If they can get out of their own way and take care of business, they have a great chance to advance, or at least to control their own destiny when they face the Saints in Week 18. All of that will start with this week's matchup against a Carolina team that is lapping the field at the bottom of the NFL's standings this season. The Panthers' run defense has struggled all season, and the Falcons prefer to be a run-leaning team whenever possible. They jacked up their passing rate last week against the Bucks, who everyone tries to throw on, but we should expect a ground-focused attack from Atlanta in this matchup as they should feel they can have success in that area and are unlikely to feel much pressure to force the issue through the air against an inept Carolina offense. Falcons quarterback Desmond Ritter had a nice statistical game in Week 14 and made some great plays in their comeback attempt, but has been prone to mistakes with wildly inconsistent play throughout his career. Head coach Arthur Smith is notably conservative, and the mindset of Atlanta entering this matchup is very likely to be that they just need to be solid and not give it away. When Atlanta does pass, I would expect their tight ends and running backs to be busy as they look to provide easy opportunities for Ritter and limit his need to take chances. Drake London is coming off a huge game in Week 14, but the Panthers' secondary has some solid personnel on the perimeter and hasn't been a unit that has given up a ton of production this season through the air in large part because teams have been able to run so easily against them. Carolina plays zone coverage at the third highest rate in the league and is likely to be most susceptible on short hitch routes and slants that attack holes in the zones as well as in the flats on screens and checkdowns, making Kyle Pitts, Johnu Smith, and B. John Robinson likely to be heavily involved in the low-volume passing attack. The Falcons are dead last in the NFL in pass rate over expectation and are facing the NFL's 32nd-ranked run defense by DVOA, we don't need to overthink how Atlanta will approach this one. How Carolina will try to win The Panthers have not scored 20 points in a game since October 15th when they lost 42-21 to the Dolphins. They have the NFL's worst passing offense and their running game has not been overly impressive either. The Panthers offense has issues everywhere, starting up front with an offensive line that ranks 30th and 27th in PFF pass blocking and run blocking grades respectively. Pairing that with an undersized quarterback who lacks arm strength and a pass-catching core devoid of difference makers has been a disaster for Carolina as they have looked like a JV team playing up against the varsity for the better part of the 2023 season. Carolina ranks 24th in the NFL in PROE, and since making their coaching change, they play at the lowest situation-neutral pace in the league. In last week's drubbing at the hands of the Saints, Carolina remained run heavy and did not pick up the pace with no huddle despite being down by two scores for the last 49 minutes of the game. It was legitimately difficult to watch as there does not seem to be any urgency to compete or make big plays to keep themselves in the game. I guess it makes sense that they are just trying to keep from being completely embarrassed out there and or breaking Bryce Young. This season is lost, and if they are as outmatched from a personnel standpoint as it appears, Trying to force the issue with Young could cause irreparable damage to his confidence moving forward. The Falcons' secondary has been beatable this year, ranking 30th in pass defense DVOA, and their pass rushes ranked 28th in PFF pass rush grade. This gives some hope that Young might be able to improve some in his efficiency this week, even if the main plan is going to be to run the ball into the brick wall of a solid Falcons run defense. Atlanta mixes up their coverages, ranking in the middle of the league in both man and zone coverage rates. Adam Thielen and Jonathan Mingo are the primary receiving targets and have combined for about half of the team's targets recently, a trend that we should expect to continue going forward, frankly due to the team's lack of other viable options. Carolina sent a clear message last week that their approach right now is to just get this nightmare of a season over with as quickly as possible and regroup for next year. We should expect another methodical and conservative game plan that likely stays the course regardless of game script. Likeliest Game Flow This game feels like it is a good chance of living up to its billing as the game with the lowest over-under on the slate. The Falcons are a team that can open things up when the matchup or game environment calls for it, but they prefer to run the ball and have the perfect matchup for it here. Carolina's offense has been inept all season and the only clear way that I would see that changing in this spot would be through Atlanta turnovers. Considering how conservative the Falcons game plan might be in this spot, Turnovers will likely be hard to come by. The most likely outcome for this game is something like we saw in the Panthers' game against the Saints last week an ugly 28 6 Saints victory with limited offensive production, or the Falcons' game against the Jets with Tim Boyle under center a couple of weeks ago, a 13 8 Falcons win where they knew their bar for points was so low that they played for ball control and field position and just let the Jets beat themselves. In either regard, the Panthers' offense appears to be getting worse as the season wears on. And really, this game feels like its range of outcomes is ugly and super low-scoring to Falcons dominate in boring fashion. Chiefs at Patriots. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 1pm Eastern, over-under 37. Game Overview by Low. We might have had a different view on this game two weeks ago than we do in Week 15. Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco has a shoulder injury and has yet to practice this week as of Thursday and appears likely to miss his second consecutive game. Patriots running back Ramondre Stevenson has an ankle injury and has yet to practice this week and also appears likely to miss his second consecutive contest. Patriots wide receiver Demario Douglas has a concussion but got in two limited sessions, which still is super concerning considering he has missed the previous two games with a concussion. Patriots wide receiver Devontae Parker has a knee injury and returned to two limited sessions this week after missing the team's week 14 contest. It appears likely he returns to action against the Chiefs. The Chiefs went even more pass-heavy last week in the absence of Pacheco, which should carry forward to this week considering New England's stout run defense. A game involving Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs has a game total of just 37 points, which should highlight the likeliest game environment present here. How Kansas City will try to win. The Chiefs cruised to a 6-1 record through their first seven games, but have now dropped two in a row and four of their last six, falling to the third seed in the AFC in the process and somehow now just one game ahead of the Broncos in the AFC West. They were four games ahead of the Broncos after Week 7. It feels crazy to say at this point in the season, but the Chiefs still have everything from the top seed in the AFC East to missing the playoffs entirely on the table, with just four games left to play. They appear set to play without their lead back again this week after falling to the Bills in Pacheco's absence last week. We've talked a lot about the fact that the Chiefs are approaching games fundamentally differently this season as compared to previous years, not necessarily aiming to outscore their opponents each week this year. A defense allowing just 17.5 points per game, the third fewest, has allowed them to utilize a more nuanced offensive approach, but that does not overshadow the relatively poor offensive efficiency demonstrated from this unit. We've seen uncharacteristically poor efficiency brought on through drops, mental mistakes, penalties, and a little less Mahomes magic than in seasons past. Either way, the Chiefs lead the league in pass rate over expectation, PROE, and rank 6th in overall pass rate, 61.34%, which is likely to only increase this week in the expected absence of Pacheco. Last week against the Bills without Pacheco, Mahomes attempted 43 passes to just 15 running back carries and 18 total team rush attempts which is likely to carry forward to their game against the Patriots here. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon split snaps almost down the middle last week, 32 for CEH and 30 for McKinnon, giving us a solid idea of what to expect here should Pacheco miss his second consecutive game with his shoulder injury, which again appears likely. CEH handled 11 carries and 4 targets to the 4 carries and 3 targets of McKinnon, while the latter remained more involved in the red zone, scoring the only running back touchdown on the week. Expect a similar breakdown against the Patriots, with an offensive game plan likely tilted heavily in favor of the pass game due to personnel limitations and previous team tendencies. The pure rushing matchup is as difficult as they come against a Patriots defense leading the league in yards allowed per carry at 3.2, behind the fewest yards allowed before contact 1.03. The Patriots have allowed 19.8 DK points per game to the position this season, behind a middling 77 targets and 9 touchdowns allowed. Rookie wide receiver Rashi Rice saw his highest snap rate and route participation rate of his young career in Week 14 emerging as the top wide receiver since the team's Week 10 bye. He joins Travis Kelsey as the only near-every-down pass catcher on this offense, with both playing 85% or more of the team's offensive snaps a week ago. The rotation is a mess of mediocrity behind those two, with all of Sky Moore, MVS, Justin Watson, Kadarius Toney, James Ritchie, and tight end Noah Gray seeing meaningful yet sporadic snaps in usage, and none playing more than 55%, which is Watson, of the offensive snaps a week ago. Mahomes is experiencing his lowest efficiency since his rookie season as the team struggles to find that magic. Plagued by drops, incorrect routes, and a dip in red zone efficiency, 56.25% red zone touchdown rate ranks just 14th in the league after ranking 2nd in 22 at 71.08%. This pass offense is very much Kelsey and Rice, and then everyone else. The Patriots present a pass-funnel matchup due to their top-ranked run defense, ranking near the middle of the league in net yards allowed per pass attempt, but facing a deep 8.2-yard average depth of target. In standard Belichick fashion, the Patriots are near the top of the league in red zone touchdown rate allowed, 45.95%, cracking down where it matters most. In other words, the Chiefs are more likely to struggle in the red zone compared to their ability to move the football through the air here. How New England will try to win. The 3-10 Patriots are the only team in the AFC already mathematically eliminated from postseason contention and currently hold the third overall pick in the 24 draft. The Mac Jones experience appears to be coming to an end after Bailey Zappi started the previous two games, making it increasingly likely that the team selects a quarterback with their first pick in the coming draft. Even through all the chaos, the Patriots forge their primary identity through their defense allowing just 20.9 points per game behind a low 56.25% red zone touchdown rate allowed, which speaks volumes to head coach Bill Belichick's defensive scheme and design, considering the lack of top-end talent on the defensive side of the ball. Their top defensive player, Matthew Judon, has missed all but four games this season, to further highlight the changing scenery in New England. Offense has been a tough ask from the Patriots this season. They've reached a modest 21 points in just two games all year, their wins over the Bills and Steelers, and have been shut out twice, and have scored in the single digits five times. We should get another game of Ezekiel Elliott as a true workhorse after the veteran backs on 91% of the team's offensive snaps a week ago, handling a massive 30 running back opportunities in the process, 22 carries and 8 targets. His per-touch efficiency remained poor, but any back seeing that level of usage is worthy of consideration, regardless of matchup. He was backed up by wide receiver running back kick returner Ty Montgomery a week ago, but the veteran converted wide receiver played a modest 11% of the team's offensive snaps, managing just six total snaps. The matchup on the ground should be viewed as a positive for Zeke against the Chiefs defense allowing 4.6 yards per carry behind a robust 1.42 yards allowed before contact. The Chiefs are near middle of the pack in DK points allowed to the position, checking in at 20.2 per game. If Stevenson remains out, Zeke is very much in contention for tighter bills this week at a price of just $5,800. The New England pass-catching core has been in a state of constant disarray this year as their top options continue to struggle through injuries. Juju Smith-Schuster, Parker, Tyquan Thornton, and tight end Hunter Henry should lead the charge against the Chiefs, assuming Parker returns from a one-game absence. Douglas is the wild card. He is clearly the preferred option through the air as one of the only remaining players capable of generating separation within the first few yards of the line of scrimmage, but he is coming off two missed games due to a concussion and has yet to get in a full practice, placing his game day status in doubt yet again. He should re-enter a prominent role in the offense should he gain clearance in time for Sunday. Steve Spagnolo's intricate defensive scheme has been in man coverage at a top five rate this year, against which Douglas has excelled this season. His 31.3% target rate against man handily leads the team, leaving him as the only pass catcher worthy of consideration from the Patriots should he return. The bigger picture is that the team has struggled to move the ball through the air all season, finally showing some level of competency last week with Zappi under center. Likeliest Game Flow The Patriots are highly unlikely to push the Chiefs on the scoreboard here, leading to a likeliest scenario that involves a muted offensive environment for each team. The clearest path to that changing is for the Chiefs to break through in the red zone and score with their opportunities, which is a tough ask against a Patriots defense ranked 6th in red zone touchdown rate allowed at under 50%, and made even more difficult if Pacheco misses again. Vegas agrees, as this game total is currently set at a modest 37 points, with the Chiefs favored by more than a touchdown, 8.5 points. Both of these teams rank in the top half of the league in points allowed per game, 17.5 for KC and 20.9 for New England reinforcing the idea that offense could be hard to come by here and leaving the likeliest game flow heavily influenced by each defense. Cowboys at Bills. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, over under 50 and a half. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Another week, another high-profile matchup in the late afternoon window on an NFL Sunday. Two aggressive passing offenses face off in a game with enormous playoff implications for both sides. Dak Prescott and Josh Allen rank first and second in the NFL among QBs in expected points added. The Bills are averaging 29 points per game since changing their offensive coordinator, while the Cowboys are averaging 38 points per game since opening up their offense following their Week 7 bye. This game sets up well for the tight ends and running backs of the Bills, as well as the receivers of the Cowboys. How Buffalo Will Try to Win The Bills got back over 500 with a huge win in Arrowhead over the Chiefs last week and are now one of six AFC teams with a 7-6 record entering Week 14. This game represents the end of a brutal three-game stretch for Buffalo where they played the Eagles, Chiefs, and now the Cowboys. If not for a 58-yard field goal in the rain at the end of regulation and a missed chance for a game-winning touchdown in overtime, the Bills would be one game away from going undefeated during that stretch. The Bills have looked far more efficient offensively for most of their three games since firing offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, averaging 33 points against the Jets and Eagles before starting the Chiefs game with two early touchdowns. The Chiefs were able to slow them down after that, holding them to no touchdowns and two field goals in the final 40 minutes of the game. This week, the Bills face a Dallas team that has been lights out offensively since opening up the playbook and relying on Dak Prescott after their Week 7 bye. The Bills have come out swinging in each of the last three weeks and we should expect a similar approach this week. Dallas plays man coverage at the fourth highest rate in the league and ranks seventh in PFF coverage grade as their secondary has been lights out for much of the season. This is a similar situation to last week when they faced a Chiefs team that plays a similar amount of man coverage and is very good against perimeter receivers. This game once again profiles as a spot where the Bills will likely lean heavily on Josh Allen, both on the ground and through the air, with the ball likely to be funneled to the middle of the field through their running backs, tight ends, and slot receivers. Buffalo has a solid defense, but the Cowboys have been torching everyone lately, and the Bills will need to enter this game with an aggressive mindset and chasing points. Last week against the Chiefs, they were able to coast a bit after building a lead, as the Chiefs' 2023 offensive struggles continued. This week, there will likely be no such luxury as the Cowboys have been arguably the hottest offense in football over the last half of the season. The 49ers are really the only other team in the conversation with them. Buffalo ranks fourth in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, and the Cowboys are facing the fourth highest opponent's pass rate over the last four weeks. Expect the Bills to lean on their franchise quarterback once again in what amounts to a must-win game that would set Buffalo up perfectly for a playoff run and potentially a week 18 showdown with the Dolphins for the AFC East crown. How Dallas Will Try to Win Dallas changed their identity coming out of their bye week, putting the ball in the hands of Dak Prescott, and raising their pass rate as well as how aggressive they push the ball down the field and the tempo they play with. Dallas ranks among the league leaders in both situation-neutral pace of play and pass rate over expectation. Dak Prescott has rewarded the Cowboys for their trust in him by playing in an MVP-caliber level and putting Dallas in a three-way tie atop the NFC with the Eagles and 49ers. The Cowboys have a very difficult schedule remaining, as they face the Dolphins and Lions over the next two weeks before closing out the year against the Commanders. The Cowboys made short work of the Eagles last week and should enter Buffalo extremely confident that they can get it done once again. The Bills' defense showed its vulnerability in Week 12 against the Eagles as their elite wide receivers made big plays to keep them in the game, while Jalen Hurts made plays with his legs. CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Cooks should have opportunities to make plays against the Bills' man coverage, while tight end Jake Ferguson is a perfect fit for attacking the Bills in the middle of the field when they play zone. Buffalo mixes up their coverage looks, ranking 16th in the league in man coverage rate and 17th in zone coverage rate. Dak Prescott has been absolutely on point this season and should be able to identify the Bills' coverages and attack them in the optimal way regardless of how they play them. On the ground, the Cowboys got Rico Dowdle more involved last week and moved Tony Pollard into a role that more closely resembled his 22 role than how he has been used this year. Pollard set a season high with 8 targets to go with his 16 carries, and Dowdle also set a season high with 12 carries, including 7 in the first half. It isn't like Dallas was just feeding him once the game was in hand. This could potentially unlock yet another level of the Dallas offense if they are able to get Pollard back to the efficient and explosive back we saw in 2022 by being more calculated in their usage of him. Buffalo's run defense ranks 29th out of 32 teams in yards per carry allowed and the threat of the Dallas passing game should open up lanes for both Dallas backs. The Cowboys are in great position to finally make that elusive playoff run and it has been their aggressiveness on both sides of the ball that has gotten them this far. We shouldn't expect that to change now. Likeliest game flow. There is a case to be made that these two teams are playing the best football in the league right now outside of San Francisco. Buffalo beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead and really should have beaten the Eagles the week before that. The Dallas offense is averaging an incredible 38 points per game over the last seven games and is coming off a dominating performance against the Eagles. This game has all the ingredients for a shootout and, as we often talk about, both teams are likely to enter the game feeling pressure to be aggressive and get points on the board early. The respective pass rates and tempo of both offenses leads us to a situation where we should have a lot of plays with talented players being put in position to make things happen. Dallas is the team more likely to get ahead thanks to their opportunistic defense and an offense that appears to be in better position for explosive plays. While Buffalo has shown they can move the ball on most anyone, the areas that they seem to have an advantage will require them to be more methodical in moving the ball down the field. Dallas, on the other hand, seems to be in a position where they will have opportunities to make big plays regardless of how the Bills' defense plays them. Buffalo has dealt with injuries in their secondary all year, and the absence of veteran safety Micah Hyde will undoubtedly create more issues for them on the back end. Once again, the Bills have been fine defensively against teams with lesser perimeter and downfield threats, but when facing talented units, it opens them up in all areas of the field. Barring any excessive weather issues, we are likely in store for an entertaining and fast paced matchup between the NFL's best performing QBs of the 23 season, according to EPA metrics.
1: Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to oneweekseason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Bears at the Browns kick off Sunday, December 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 38.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson The Bears appear to be peaking late in the season as they have won three of their last four games. The Browns have won games with four different starting quarterbacks this season, which feels like it has to be some sort of record. Cleveland has retooled their offense with Joe Flacco under center, shifting from an incredibly run-heavy unit to a team that has attempted 89 passes in the last two weeks. Both of these teams rank near the bottom of the league in pass rate over expectation, but have been airing it out more recently. The Browns have the league's number one ranked defense, but are battling a lot of injuries right now and have given up 63 points in the last two weeks. How Chicago will try to win... The Bears emerged from their Week 13 bye and were aggressive and efficient in their victory over the Lions, as they held Detroit scoreless in the second half, en route to a 28-13 victory. Chicago's defense has emerged as a strong point lately, and this has improved significantly since acquiring Montez Sweat at the trade deadline. Last week, the Bears also threw at a pass rate above their expected rate and found success, Their offense is starting to click as Justin Fields has found a groove late in the season once again. The Bears have also started calling more designed runs for Fields since his return from injury, which opens them up to more potentially explosive plays and opens running lanes for the running backs and holds linebackers on play-action concepts. All things considered, the Bears are a much more formidable team at this point in the season than their 5-8 record would indicate, as they have won three of their last four games with the lone loss coming to the Lions in Week 11, a game in which Chicago held a 12-point lead with 4-15 remaining. Field's primary pass-catching targets are DJ Moore and Cole Kmet, with Moore operating as one of the top receivers in the league with Fields under center. Last week, the Bears gave Moore some extra usage in the running game in a Debo Samuel-type role as they experimented with new ways to get the ball in the hands of their best player. The Browns play man coverage at the highest rate in the league and will give Moore some chances to make plays down the field. It will be important to watch the status of many key Browns defensive players, as Cleveland's injury report is littered with difference-making players from their secondary and pass rush. While the Bears' offensive game plan will certainly center around the talents of Fields and more, their backfield will not be ignored completely. We should expect three backs to be involved, which limits the expectations for each of them individually. But Chicago should be able to move the ball a bit and sustain drives on the ground to an extent because of the lanes that Fields and the Bears' scheme open up. Ultimately, the Bears' offense may come crashing down to earth if the Browns' defense is reasonably healthy but there is some potential for a big offensive showing if things break a certain way later in the week. Cleveland has surrendered 92 points over the last three weeks and gave up 31 to the Ravens and 38 to the Colts earlier this season. How Cleveland will try to win. The Browns have won games with four different starting quarterbacks this season, which is a testament to their elite defense as well as the coaching acumen of Kevin Stefanski. The most recent change has been to roll with veteran Joe Flacco, and has entailed altering the overall offensive approach much more than the previous changes. While we could talk at length about the different levels of QB that Deshaun Watson, PJ Walker, and Dorian Thompson Robinson are, the reality is that the Browns were able to maintain a similar playing style, play calling, and concepts regardless of which of them were under center. The change to Flacco, a far less mobile option and more advanced passer than his predecessors, has moved Cleveland to a more conventional offense that utilizes its pass catchers at a higher rate. This week, the Browns face a Bears defense that has been improving over the second half of the season and has been very good against the run, in particular. Since the insertion of Flacco at quarterback just two weeks ago, several Browns pass catchers have shown spikes in terms of usage and or efficiency. David Njoku had his best game of the season in Week 14 against the Jaguars, while Amari Cooper set a season high in targets and tied his season high in reception. Meanwhile, Elijah Moore set a season high with 12 targets in Week 13 while setting the NFL season high for air yards in a game. Flacco isn't just throwing it either. He is pushing the ball downfield at an incredible rate. He is averaging 9.9 intended air yards per pass attempt which would lead the NFL if he had thrown enough passes to qualify. While that number may come down a bit, as more volume is added to the mix, there is little doubt that the Browns are going to continue chucking it, and they have an underrated receiving core in terms of talent as well. Chicago faces the fifth-highest opponent pass rate in the NFL, which is especially significant when you consider how many games the Bears were blown out in earlier in the season, where teams didn't have to pass against them. Adding to all of this is the fact that starting running back Jerome Ford is battling an injury that may limit him or hold him out. We should expect a similar game plan from the Browns this week as they had last week, with a high volume of passing, and it will just be a matter of how efficient they can be. Likeliest Game Flow This section is where we talk about the outcome that is most likely to play out, but frankly, there is a huge range of outcomes in this game. Could we see a Joe Flacco versus Justin Fields back-and-forth shootout? Potentially. Could we see the Browns' top-ranked defense dominate at home while the Bears' improved defense brings Flacco back down to earth? Absolutely. As is usually the case, the most likely game flow probably lies somewhere in the middle, but I'll be kind of surprised if we do get that middle-of-the-road type of game. My lean tends to be that this game can get a bit wild, as there is a fun combination of an aggressive downfield passing team, Cleveland, facing a good run defense on one side, and a team with explosive weapons, Fields and more, facing a defense that has a ton of injuries and plays a style that opens itself up to big plays. All things considered, this is one of the more intriguing spots on the slate. The 49ers at the Cardinals. Kickoff Sunday, December 17th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 48. Game Overview by Mike Johnson This is a rematch of an early-season game in which Christian McCaffrey went nuts and the 49ers dominated. The 49ers continue to be an unstoppable offense at full strength, scoring 27 or more points in every game this year where all of their key skill players start and finish. Arizona's defense has held its own against struggling offenses, but has been destroyed by solid units with good personnel. The Cardinals have a 2-2 record since Kyler Murray's return and are looking to continue growth as a franchise under first-year head coach Jonathan Gannon. Trey McBride has emerged as the top-receiving threat for Arizona and is becoming one of the top tight ends in the league. How San Francisco will try to win From my Week 2 NFL Edge write-up on the 49ers, quote, For most teams, when people are evaluating how they play, it is common to reference their run-pass splits and their tempo. To me, the 49ers are a different animal altogether. The way this team is built schematically and personnel-wise, it feels more like a basketball team than a football team. Let me explain. There are five players on a basketball court. In football, the offense has 11 players, but five of them are offensive linemen who can't touch the ball, which leaves six players to share the rock. Quarterback Brock Purdy rarely, if ever, runs the ball, and the 49ers basically ignore one of the five remaining players, whoever is in as their second tight end, third wide receiver, or second running back. This leaves a situation where one of four players, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, or George Kittle, is touching the ball on basically every play for them. To illustrate my point, in the first three quarters of the 49ers' season opening win with Pittsburgh, one of those four players touched the ball on 48 of the 53 offensive plays that didn't end in a sack. Brock Purdy is the point guard of this basketball team, and Christian McCaffrey is going to get the most shots, but the balance here is not about run versus pass as much as it is about the fact that they have four game-breaking players you have to account for at all times. End quote. Here we are in week 14, and nothing really has changed. The 49ers had 50 combined rush and pass attempts last week against the Seahawks. Of those 50 plays, there were only 7 times where the ball went to someone outside Purdy and the Big Four for San Francisco. 3 of those 7 plays were runs by backup running back Jordan Mason when the 49ers were up 12 points with less than 2 minutes remaining. Suffice it to say that the 49ers are going to continue rolling this way for a while. This week, the 49ers travel to play an Arizona team that they already destroyed once this season. Arizona's defense ranks 31st in the NFL in DVOA and has been an equal opportunity unit this season, ranking bottom five against both the run and the pass. The Cardinals have been notably awful against elite and dynamic running backs, surrendering two of the five biggest running back games of the season to CMC and Kyron Williams. This seems to set up as a CMC smash spot, although it is impossible to rule out the 49ers passing game pieces scoring the touchdowns as well. Arizona plays a relatively conservative style of defense, ranking bottom five in the league in blitz rate and top five in the league in zone coverage rate. Debo Samuel and George Kittle are theoretically the top options against zone coverage from a schematic standpoint, but Brandon Ayuk also ranks top five in the league in fantasy points per route run against zone, and we've seen backs smash in Arizona in the passing game as well. So really, it's just a great matchup for the entire 49ers offense. In any regard, the 49ers have scored 27-plus points in every game where they were fully healthy on offense and this week they are healthy and facing a very bad defense. They should enter this game with their usual game plan and ride their studs to another four or five touchdown performance. How Arizona will try to win. Kyler Murray's presence is the biggest difference for this game compared to the first meeting. The last time these teams met, Josh Dobbs was the quarterback for the Cardinals, and we have since seen him get traded and implode in Minnesota as well. Murray hasn't been a world beater, but he has definitely changed the feel around this team since his return, and he is moving extremely well and making plays with his legs. The Cardinals are 2-2 two two since he came back from last season's ACL tear, and both of those wins are against teams who are in the thick of the playoff race, so it's not like they just picked off a couple of bottom feeders. Even one of their losses was somewhat impressive, as they only lost by a score of 21-16 against the upstart Texans and this was prior to all the recent Texans injuries. Unfortunately for the Cardinals, this week marks a massive step up in competition as they face what is widely considered to be the best team in the NFL right now. The 49ers rank first in the NFL in offensive DVOA and fourth on defense. As noted earlier, the 49ers' offense is as close to a sure thing as you will find for 30-plus points in most weeks as long as they stay healthy and considering the struggles of the Arizona defense. Arizona will likely have to face that fact eventually, but may try to lean on James Conner and their running game early on to slow the game down and get into halftime with the score at least in a manageable spot. Trey McBride will likely be heavily involved as he is already the top pass-catching option for Arizona, and the 49ers perimeter defense is terrific. Likeliest Game Flow As often happens with the 49ers games, this game will likely end up with a lot of points on the scoreboard and tilted heavily in their favor. That being said, it may take a little while to get there. The 49ers' offense isn't one that forces the ball downfield or ever feels rushed to make explosive plays to put points on the board. They know they will get there eventually and sometimes are calling plays early in the game to set up explosive opportunities for later. This is especially true as opposing defenses enter with a fearful mindset and are cautiously trying to avoid those big plays early, so it takes some feeling out before they strike sometimes. With that in mind, and with Arizona likely to play things close to the vest as long as they can, we could have a low-scoring first half if the 49ers don't have anyone break loose for big plays. This is the best offense in football, however, and they have four incredibly gifted playmakers. The soft coverage of the Cardinals, letting Brock Purdy get the ball to his guys in space easily and regularly, seems like a recipe for disaster. The 49ers have a dominant personnel advantage in the secondary which should allow them to sell out against the run and give extra attention to McBride, which will leave everything on Kyler Murray to move the ball for Arizona's offense and keep this game even remotely competitive. The Commanders at the Rams kick off Sunday, December 17th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 50.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson Washington's pass defense has been abysmal this season, and there appears to be no end in sight. The Rams almost pulled off a huge upset in Baltimore last week, and their offense appears to be clicking on all cylinders, scoring 30-plus points in three straight games. Kyron Williams has one of the best workloads of any running back in the league. The commander's offense has been extraordinarily pass-heavy so far this season, but was noticeably more conservative the last time we saw them in a Week 13 loss to the Dolphins. This game is one of two spots on the Week 15 slate, with an over-under of 50 or higher. How Washington Will Try to Win The Commanders have been a source of offensive fireworks this season thanks to their offense throwing the ball at the third-highest PROE in the league and their defense being the worst in the league against the pass. In a strange turn of events, however, we saw the Commanders start running the ball at the highest frequency we've seen all year in their Week 13 loss to the Dolphins. Despite falling behind early and by a significant margin, the commanders had more rush attempts than pass attempts for the first time this season. The thing that made that decision even more head-scratching was the fact that starting running back Brian Robinson left the game in the first half with a hamstring injury. A pass-heavy team that trailed by 3-plus scores for the last 40 minutes of the game and lost its starting running back turns into a run-heavy unit. Just when you think you've got the NFL figured out, something like that happens and all you can do is shrug. Zooming out, it does make a bit of sense, as there was rain in the game and the field was not in great shape. If the commanders felt like things were beyond the point, where they could make a comeback, maybe they just decided to move on and get out of there and into their week 14 bye. Coming out of their bye... Washington faces a Rams team that is in the thick of the NFC playoff race, and has been rolling offensively in recent weeks. Brian Robinson's status is in doubt for this matchup, and Washington should be expecting to need a lot of points to have a chance in this one. The Rams defense ranks bottom 10 in PFF pass rush grade while having the worst coverage grade of any secondary in the league. Los Angeles plays a high amount of zone coverage and also ranks 27th out of the 32 teams in quarterback pressure rate. This is helpful for the Commanders, who have given up the second-most quarterback sacks in the NFL through Week 14. Considering the fact that Washington has been very pass-heavy for most of the season, the weather will be pristine in Los Angeles on Sunday, their best runner is likely to miss the game, and the matchup indicates they will be able to protect the quarterback better than usual. This sets up as a spot where the commanders can let Sam Howell rip through the air once again. While the commanders' usage of their skill players has been frustrating for fantasy, and it is hard to project any specific players for a lot of volume, the team as a whole will almost certainly have a lot of opportunities as they are unlikely to move the ball well on the ground, and they will enter the game with a pass-heavy mindset, or be pushed into that mode quickly due to their leaky defense. How Los Angeles will try to win. The Rams played an outstanding game in Baltimore last week and dropped 31 points on Baltimore's number two ranked defense by DVOA. That makes two straight weeks that Los Angeles lit up the scoreboards against a top two ranked defense, as they dropped 36 on the top ranked Browns defense the week before. The week prior to that, they hung 37 points and 457 yards from scrimmage on the Cardinals in a rout. Suffice it to say, the Rams' offense is rolling right now. A big part of that resurgence has been thanks to the return of Kyron Williams after he missed four games with an ankle injury. The Rams have been more balanced and have benefited from an increased efficiency in the running game, as well as what it has done to open up their passing game and put them in more favorable down and distance situations. As we look at this matchup for Los Angeles, it is important to understand the context of head coach Sean McVay's offense. While Matthew Stafford is playing terrific football, and they have two elite wide receivers, this offense is built around their running game. The running game concepts and how they fit in with the route concepts are so critical for this team, as the scheme itself opens things up for players most of the time rather than leaving guys on an island and hoping they win. The reason this is critical is that this game is more complex than Washington's pass defense's trash, so the Rams will come out chucking it. The reality is that the Rams are going to have a relatively balanced attack from the outset of this game, because they have to, if they want to light up the commanders on the back end as the game progresses. Granted, there is a chance the commanders are bad enough on the back end that a balanced Rams attack is able to have chunk plays through the air right off the bat but it is notable that they are highly unlikely to just enter the game and throw it on 80% of the plays on their first possession. As far as usage goes, Williams, Cooper Cup, and Puka Nakua are unquestionably the cornerstones of this offense, and rookie tight end Davis Allen took on a big role last week in the absence of Tyler Higbee. Cup and Nakua are both favorites to see double-digit targets this week, and Williams is likely to touch the ball somewhere in the range of 25 times once again. Washington's run defense has been solid this year, ranking 8th in DVOA, so it wouldn't be shocking for the Rams to get Williams more involved in the passing game as an alternative means of moving the ball through their backfield. Williams had a huge game receiving just three weeks ago against the Cardinals. Likeliest Game Flow Washington's defense has been abysmal this year, and it has only gotten worse since trading away their top two edge rushers. Shocking, I know. The Commanders are likely to be pushed once again by the Rams and should have more success in their response in this game than they did the last time we saw them against the Dolphins. This game has the potential to take off if the Commanders are able to find some semblance of offensive success to continue to push the Rams. Los Angeles has scored 30-plus points in three straight weeks, twice against defenses of Cleveland and Baltimore, which are much more difficult than what Washington will bring to town. The Rams are a high-confidence bet to score 30-plus points once again this week, and the real question is whether or not the commanders can hold up their end of the bargain. Washington hasn't scored 20 points in a game in over a month, but has the chance this week to take advantage of a solid matchup against a team that should give them some easy opportunities for yardage thanks to their low pressure rate and soft zone coverages. Neither team plays at a particularly high tempo so this game is unlikely to take off right away and may be a slow building first half. Eventually though, the dam is likely to burst for the Washington defense and the Rams should put up a very respectable offensive showing. The commanders are likely to see more early game offensive success this week than they have in most of their recent games, which could serve to push this game to some really fun levels.